Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Morning, church. Good morning to those of you joining us on live stream. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. And over the last eight weeks, as we move through a process of trying to figure out what is next, as we look for a new worship pastor, I don't know how blessed you have been, but I have been incredibly blessed by the amazing teams that we have here leading us. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Greta. Uh, I. Over the last like eight weeks, every time I come in here and worship, I just feel I feel the joy. I feel the presence of the Lord, and I know you can feel it as well. And so I'm just blessed. I love that we're part of a team here and that God continues to do his thing here. Two weeks ago, it was announced that I'll be stepping into a new role as acting lead. And I just want to take a moment and thank you for the affirmation that I felt two weeks ago, for the emails, for those of you that have come up and, and said, you know, hey, we're excited about this. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this because I love this place. I love the city of Salem. I love the people that make up this city. I love those that attend this church. And so I'm really excited about what the next season holds. And I just want to thank you for that. I I was walking with Steve Fowler earlier this week, and we were walking downtown. And we were just reminiscing on on the past. And you know, I I quickly realized my, my time here, we've only lived here for five and a half years. But my time and my relationship with Salem Alliance is much longer than that. You know, I I spoke here about 13 years ago. I work across the street at this point at RTI on the fourth floor in Broadway Commons building. Yes, RTI is getting a lot of good press today. That's great. That's a good thing. And uh, anyway, though, I, I actually prayed the prayer dedication at the groundbreaking ceremony for that building via Zoom from a different place in the world. And I just think that's a a really cool thing. But we're just so blessed to be here, the relationships that we've had before we lived here, the relationships that we have now. We love this place. And my entire family is excited about what the future holds. Speaking of my family, last week, Jennifer put up a picture. And everyone's like, Rob, you never put up pictures of your family. There's a reason. You see, my family, we don't take pictures. I don't know what the deal is. My daughter's always like, if somebody breaks into our house, the robber's going to be like, who am I robbing anyway? Like, what is the deal? And we just, for whatever reason, never have done it. In fact, last weekend, my daughter came home from school. She goes to school in in LA, and she came home, and we cut down a Christmas tree, and this would have been the perfect family opportunity to get a good, like, family picture. No? We spent, like, 10 minutes trying to get the perfect, like, the new helicopter slow-mo video thing that's trending right now. And so I want to introduce you to my family. If you deal with motion sickness, you'll want to close your eyes. But here's my family. Uh, Here's a little video. Uh, This is my son, Rowan, throwing his very expensive iPhone in the air. Uh, That's my son, Titus, my daughter, Adia, my daughter, Sidon, my... There's Rowan. You almost got to see my wife, Jess. Sorry. And that's my family. So my family, they are excited to be here. And that's what we got. Someday we'll get a family portrait. Actually, I have another family picture. This is even funnier, right? Here's my family. This is the only picture. Our family share, like our chat. I'm like, guys, I need a picture for this week. And they're like, we don't have any. I said, well, well, and we would throw different ones up and everything got thumbs down. This got lots of thumbs down. This was the only picture we could find with all of us in the last 18 months. This is in LA. It's 95 degrees out. We just moved my daughter into her dorm. We're about to say like the tearful goodbye. That's the picture I'm showing you today. Very vulnerable. This is my family. My daughter to the right. She's studying film at Biola. She's a sophomore. My beautiful wife, Jess. She's the director of Sparrow Furniture. She teaches at RTI Theology. My son Rowan up here up top, he's a junior at North. My son Titus, who 
really didn't like this picture, and I see why now that it's blown up, and I owe him, a, I owe, I owe him like a burger at this point, because thank you, Titus, if you're here. I don't know if you're here, but I appreciate your humility. And my, my daughter, Adia, who is a senior at North, that is my crew. I love them dearly, and they share in the excitement of what God is doing in the excitement of this next season. Church, we're launching a new, season, a new series this week called Upside Down Christmas. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story and the counterintuitive aspects that we see in it. Today, we're going to look at this contrast of the fact that we have this God who is all-powerful that could act immediately, could act swiftly, and yet so often he doesn't. So often he asks us to take our time and wait for his response. I mean, we, we say our prayers and we want a response the way, you know, when you go to Jimmy John's and you order your sandwich and it's ready immediately. Like, that's what we want when we offer our petitions to God. And yet, so often, he asks us to wait. And so today, we're going to be talking about the fact that Christmas reminds us that we can't judge God by our own time frame. We can't judge God by our own calendar. Alexander Dumas says, he's the author of multiple, multiple great books, says, all human wisdom is summed up in two words, wait and hope. And isn't that Advent? And yet, those, just the concept of waiting does something in me. I don't like to wait. Honestly, I don't wait well. I love efficiency. Probably too much, definitely too much. I love efficiency. Let me give you a little glimpse into my messed up world. When I first moved to Salem, I needed some new glasses, so I decided to go to Costco to get glasses. Why did I choose Costco? Because it's efficient. I'm going to be there anyway, buying some groceries. And so when you go to Costco uh, uh, Optical, there's like kind of the, the counter where you order your glasses and your contacts, and behind there is the optometrist. And so when I got there, I saw there's a, a, a board up, a little digital board, and it says 50 now serving 50. And I look down, and there's this place where you can grab your little number. And I see that's like 62. Ooh, there's going to be 12 people. This is going to take a little while. I'm going to have to wait. I don't wait. So I grab the number before I go to get my eye exam, like any intelligent person would. I go, and I get my eye exam, and I come out, and now we're only on 57. I have 60. I'm going to grab, now we're at 66. I grab 66 as well, so I can go shop. You know the drill, right? Anyone else got this issue? Now I can go shop. And if I come back and hit 62, I'm good. If I don't, as long as we didn't get to 60, I come back, I grab a third number. I got three numbers. I'm that person that causes number 60, number 60, seriously, 61. I'm that person. I struggle. It's an idol. Efficiency is an idol in my life. I don't wait well. Moments of forced waiting, whether it be at a traffic light, a doctor's office, the waiting room, I struggle to breathe and find peace in those moments. In church, that's why I love Advent. Advent is a spirit-convicting slap in my face for my hurried lifestyle, for my impatience, for the idol that efficiency is in my life. Advent screams, wait, breathe, slow down, take in your surroundings, anticipate, wonder, hope. 
Advent conditions us to wait well. And in the Christmas story, we see a a dual waiting. The waiting for the Christ child to be born in the manger, and also it reminds us of the awaiting that we're in now for the second coming, the second Advent, a promise realized and a promise that we await. And Advent teaches us much about the character of God that we put our faith in, and that's what I want to look at today. Because church, though he may take his time, God always keeps his word. Though he may take his time, God always keeps his word. He is faithful and true. And today we are going to see that in a story of a man named Simeon who waited so well. In fact, the waiting room for him became formative. Many of us, like Simeon, are in that waiting room. Some of you here today, you're waiting for that healing to finally come. For some of us, we're waiting for reconciliation to happen and for peace to be returned to our family. Lord, you said I'd know you more deeply, but when will I experience Holy Spirit the way others seem to have? Lord, you said you have my prodigal child in your hands, but when will he return? Lord, you've promised. You said that I would overcome that insecurity. I would overcome that addiction, but... When will that day be that I close the door on that? You said you're with me in the valley. So when will I conquer that anxiety, that fear, that depression? Church, many of us are here today watching, waiting, holding on to the promises, trying not to let hope diminish. And I'm here today to remind you that though he may take his time, he always keeps his word. Our Christmas story today is found in Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to put it on the screen. We're going to read it in the New Living Translation version. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. This is the word of the Lord. Simeon hadn't lost hope. He was holding on to the promise, and the promise was realized. And it was beautiful to see it unfold. He held the Savior of the world, the hope of all nations, in his arms. And he blessed him. And he dedicated him to the Lord. This is so powerful. And I believe there are things that we can learn from Simeon. What's the key to his waiting well? 
I want to run this story today through kind of a grid with three words. Let me share these. I've shared them before, but they are behold, believe, and behave. In church, especially the evangelical church, I believe, often looks at these in reverse. We start with behavior, and we talk way too much about behavior. And what happens is that behavior becomes this forced thing that we try to conjure up a level of behavior that will create a proof that we do believe. And if we can do those things really well and get good at behaving right and believing right and saying the right things, maybe then we will get to behold who God is. That's called legalism. It really bothers me, actually. In church, the way it works actually is the exact opposite of that. The way it works is God is amazing, and we start by beholding his goodness. We behold his character. We behold his power, and in that, it strengthens our belief. Our belief moves from a head knowledge where we're trying to convince ourselves that he's true. It becomes much more than that. It invades every fiber of our being, and we believe it is true. What he says is true, and we can't help but respond to that. We respond to that in worship, and that worship is our behavior. Our behavior is nothing more than a response to a God after we see his goodness and after we see who he is. There's a difference when you start with behold versus starting with behavior. And so I just want to continue to bring these before us. But church, today I want to run this story through these. And so we start with the beholding. We behold our God who keeps his every promise. Once again, here in scripture, we see through Simeon's life that a promise is realized. It is fulfilled. A word that is spoken has become reality and it is good. One of the reasons I love the rhythms and rituals of Advent is because of the scripture readings that accompany Advent. So many of them are promises from the Old Testament realized in the coming of Jesus. The lineage promises throughout Genesis, the prophetic words of Isaiah, the promises of the coming Savior in Hosea and Micah, the praises in the Psalms that predict his rule and reign. There are so many hundreds of these prophetic words that are fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. His promises realized. It's amazing. It's transcendent. No human could have ever put this together, and that builds my faith, and I hope it does yours. It proves our point today that though he may take his time, he always keeps his promises. Church, he is loyal. He is faithful and true. The prophetic words declare that the king of the world has come. And so we add our praise even this morning to Simeon's and declare, Sovereign Lord, as you promised. The Christmas story is full of waiting. It's full of the promises being realized. It's not all just Old Testament prophecies. We, we see Mary, nine months of waiting as the presence of God expands within her body. The savior of the world is born as a baby, not ready to bring deliverance of the people. It's not for 30 years that he even begins his ministry. And even three years after that, until he triumphantly enters into the city, only to die and be put in a grave where we wait three more days for him to conquer death, only to lead to his ascension, where he tells us to wait longer for his coming again. The story of Christmas reminds us that though he takes his time, he will keep his word. We recall the times that it's been true in scripture in the past in church. Even this week, would you recall the times where it's been true in your life? 
where the promise has been realized? Would you declare it to your friends? Would you declare it to your neighbors? Would you declare it to your family? And would you release hope and release worship? Behold our God who keeps his every promise. And when we behold who he is, it makes it easier to believe. And that belief moves from our head to our entire being. And in this case, we believe that he is coming again. He said he would, and church, it is true. He said it over and over in scripture. We see it in John 14. When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me wherever I am. Acts 1, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. In Revelation 22, look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Church, he said he is coming back and he will. And when we live that way, it means that we live as future-oriented people, people with a hope in the future. I believe that we in our culture have lost the ability to be future-oriented people. I know for me personally, I don't really like to start a show until the whole season is done. I mean, how can you binge? We are so impatient. Those of you that, some of you don't even realize this, there was a day when you would have to, like your show's on Wednesday night at eight, you actually have to wait till the next Wednesday to see what happens next. There's not this little box with a countdown. It's a lost art. You would, you would literally go to bed wondering what's going to happen next week. And you'd have a whole week to ponder and wonder. Church, delayed gratification is a beautiful thing. It allows us to ponder, and in this case, to ponder his return. Because church, a day is coming when God's dwelling place will be among his people. He will dwell with us. We will be his people, and he will be our God. He will wipe away every tear. He will, there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. He will make everything new. The old ways will pass away. And at Christmas, we celebrate that Emmanuel God came to be with us. And we believe that his return will also happen. Church, this is our blessed hope. And faith is released when we wait and believe, not just in our heads, but with how we live, that it will be just as God said. We behold he is faithful to his promise. We believe he is coming again. And when we believe those things, it creates, it demands in us a response. It calls us to action. And that action is twofold. Our behavior considers the now and the not Yet, it considers the now. He came, the first advent happened, and it considers our life because he will return. It's a quote by Will Willimon that captures this really good that I want to share with you. Our lives are eschatologically stretched between the sneak preview of the new world being born among us in the church, in the old world, where the principalities and powers are reluctant to give way. In the meantime which is the only time the church has ever known. We live as those who know something about the fate of the world that the world does not yet know. Church, that makes us different. That makes us different. It's true. We live differently because of the tension of the hope we have for heaven, the not yet, and the action of his kingdom bringing peace in the here, in the now. Simeon did this well. 
He was declared devout and righteous. In church, we have some things we can learn from him. I got to be honest with you. I had the rest of this sermon pretty much worked out on Tuesday, and I was in the prayer room praying through my sermon, and I was asked to throw away this last section. And the Lord gave me two words that describe Simeon that is a challenge and a call to us today. And the first word was this. The first word was watchman. Like Simeon, we are to be watchmen. He's coming again, and with that, our response is to become watchmen. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit was on him. Simeon, his name means one who hears, one who listens, and he lived into his name. He was always on the lookout for God at work. He was Holy Spirit empowered in church. We are called to do the same. There he was in the temple watching, waiting, sensitive to Holy Spirit. This is a picture of my dog, Zachy. Zachy, uh, Zachy was in a really sad excuse for a live nativity this week. He was a sheep. Bah. Uh, Zachy's getting up there in age. Zachy actually doesn't hear well anymore. But there was a day, there was a day when, when I would get home and, and the kids would say, Dad, it's hilarious. You see, he, he knew the sound of my car. And when my car was two blocks away from the house, that dog was up in the window, tail wagging, giving a yelp, knowing that I was coming home. And he would watch out the window. And as soon as I would pull up, he would see me get out. And I would see him jump down. And I knew as soon as I opened that front door, that dog was there waiting for me, tail wagging, ready to say hello. Church, we're called to do the same. May we be like that. May our waiting have an anticipation and an excitement. May we watch and listen and wait for his return. May we be like the bridesmaids, the five of them in Matthew 25 that are prepared, that are ready, that have the oil in their lamps, that have their wicks trimmed, that are ready to receive the bridegroom when he will appear. And it's not just the waiting for his ultimate return that we are watching for. We're watching for his presence in the here and the now as well. Church, be watchful and attentive to God moving this week. Where is he showing up? Where is heaven touching earth? Where are the incarnational moments that we get to catch a glimpse of or initiate that are happening? In some circles, they're called kairos moments. These moments where a smile is given to you at just the right time that changes the trajectory of your day that is not a coincidence. The times where you send that text to somebody and that text you realize later, a person you haven't even seen or talked to in weeks, and that text they tell you later affects them greatly. These are those God on the move moments. Pay attention to the kids in your life because oftentimes they have eyes. They are better watchmen than we as adults. But church, can we notice these? Can we celebrate these moments? Can we see what God is saying to us? Can we speak them out and release hope into the now of what is yet to come? The second word that I felt like the Lord gave me for us today is the word steadfast. And here's the deal. When I got the word watchman, I said, cool, I can preach on watchman. Steadfast. Oh, I wrestled. I had to look it up in Webster's Dictionary. I did a biblical study on this word. Like Simeon Church, we are to be steadfast. 
And as I prepared, I realized that this word is significant for us in this season of chaos. Steadfast means firm, loyal, unwavering, resolute, confident, but not arrogant. 1 Corinthians 15 says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I began to get it. Because church, Advent is our invitation where we do slow down. We pause and we look around at what surrounds us. And if you're honest, that can be a bit discouraging. Where is the peace? Where is the justice in our world? Where is the ground being taken in the here and now for the kingdom of God? Where is the steadfast love that endures? Where is the unity among us as his people? Advent welcomes us to take an honest look at the dark world that Christ was born into, the chaos and the brokenness. And in that is the invitation to be steadfast. To be steadfast and acknowledging and wrestling with the honesty of the now. And church, may I encourage us to pause and take in our surroundings and notice the brokenness around us because it's there. Can we make a conscient effort to call it what it is and not become numb to it? We, more importantly now than ever, need to see and join where God is working in the renewal of his creation in the here and now. Church, more important than ever, it is for us to remain loyal, to be steadfast, to take root, to be the anchor in our city, to pursue justice, to pursue love, to bring peace where we walk. Our ability to see hope in the now while being anchored in the future makes us different. It makes us powerful, and it might not seem like we are bringing that much peace to our city, but we need to continue pressing on, remaining steadfast, remembering that our labor is not in vain. So church, can we remain steadfast by being loyal? Two ways I want to encourage you to do that this week. The first is some of you need to hear this invitation. Stay. Stay. Some of you are here today and you're on the fence about your faith. You're on the fence about going to church consistently. Some of you are here today out of loyalty to the family and I'm asking you to stay, to keep pressing in, to ask for deeper revelation. Stay, let your roots grow and see what happens. I'm trying to propagate some snake cactuses right now and it takes forever. I keep wanting to give up, but I'm just going to let it stay. Some of you need to just stay. And there's others in this room that you are rooted. Can I encourage you to foster steadfastness by staying consistent with the disciplines? The disciplines of prayer and scripture reading and taking of the Lord's Supper. Can I encourage you to stay consistent? Some of you, uh, you've You've fallen off some of that consistency. Can I encourage you? Get out your Bible app, the version. There's multiple Advent guides. Go through those. Commit to do it every day through this Advent season. Download one of those. Come join us at our prayer path the week before Christmas and get rooted. Steadfast living is cultivated. 
It's not a quick impartation. Church, we're called to wait well. I don't like to wait. But I've considered the fact that the formation of the waiting room can be more important than what I'm actually waiting for. The formation that happens in the waiting room is often more important than what we're waiting for. And I believe Father God is more concerned with what we are becoming than what we are wanting. And thus, in his love, he asks us to wait. Church, in the waiting room, we become attuned to his voice, to his whisper. In the waiting room, we become watchmen like Simeon, aware of the presence of God in this church age, this in-between time. In the waiting room, we learn not only how to want differently, but how to receive differently. In the waiting room, we become righteous and devout like Brother Simeon. In the waiting room, we discover the keys to becoming steadfast like our creator. Advent is an invitation to wait, to breathe, to ponder, to wonder, to take hope and take courage. Because church, though he may take his time, he always keeps his word. Christmas gives us this gift. May the depth of his presence fill you as you wait. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.